0: Chapter 8 of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles McKay, Volume 2, Chapter 8 Relics. A fourth old knick-knacks, rusty iron caps and jingling jackets what hand the Lothians three in tackets, a toman good, and parish pats and old salt-backets afore the flood. Burns. The love for relics is one which will never be eradicated as long as feeling and affection are denizens of the heart. It is a love which is most easily excited in the best and kindliest natures, and which few are callous enough to scoff at. WHO WOULD NOT TREASURE THE LOCK OF HAIR THAT ONCE ADORNED THE BROW OF THE FAITHFUL WIFE, NOW COLD IN DEATH, OR THAT HUNG DOWN THE NECK OF A BELOVED INFANT NOW SLEEPING UNDER THE SWORD? NOT ONE. THEY ARE HOME RELICS, WHOSE SACRED WORTH IS INTELLIGIBLE TO ALL, SPOILS RESCUED FROM THE DEVOURING GRAVE WHICH TO THE AFFECTIONATE ARE BEYOND ALL PRICE. HOW DEAR TO A FORLORN SURVIVOR THE BOOK OVER WHOSE PAGES HE HAS POURED WITH ONE DEPARTED! HOW MUCH GREATER ITS VALUE IF THAT HAND, NOW COLD, HAD WRITTEN A THOUGHT, AN OPINION OR A NAME UPON THE LEAF. BESIDES THESE SWEET DOMESTIC RELICS THERE ARE OTHERS WHICH NO ONE CAN CONDEMN. RELICS SANCTIFIED BY THAT ADMIRATION OF GREATNESS AND GOODNESS WHICH IS AKIN TO LOVE. SUCH as THE COPY OF Montaigne's FLORIO, WITH THE NAME OF SHAKESPEARE UPON THE LEAF, WRITTEN BY THE POET OF ALL TIME HIMSELF the chair preserved at antwerp in which reuben sat when he painted the immortal descent from the cross or the telescope preserved in the museum of florence which aided galileo in his sublime discoveries who would not look with veneration upon the undoubted arrow of william tell the swords of wallace or of hampden or the bible whose leaves were turned by some stern old father of the faith thus the principle of reliquism is hallowed and enshrined by love but from this germ of purity how numerous the progeny of errors and superstitions. Men, in their admiration of the great and of all that appertained to them, have forgotten that goodness is a component part of true greatness, and have made fools of themselves for the jawbone of a saint, the toe-nail of an apostle, the handkerchief a king blew his nose in, or the rope that hanged a criminal. Desiring to rescue some slight token from the graves of their predecessors, they have confounded the famous and the infamous, the renowned and the notorious. Great saints, great sinners, great philosophers, great quacks, great conquerors, great murderers, great ministers, great thieves. Each and all have had their admirers ready to ransack earth from the equator to either pole to find a relic of them. The relicism of modern times dates its origin from the centuries immediately preceding the Crusades. The first pilgrims to the Holy Land brought back to Europe thousands of apocryphal relics, in the purchase of which they had expended all their store. The greatest favorite was the wood of the true cross, which, like the oil of the widow, never diminished. It is generally asserted in the traditions of the Romish church that the Empress Helot, the mother of Constantine the Great, first discovered the veritable true cross in her pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The Emperor Theodosius made a present of the greater part of it to St. Ambrose, Bishop of Milan, by whom it was studded with precious stones and deposited in the principal church of that city. It was carried away by the Huns, by whom it was burnt, after they had extracted the valuable jewels it contained. Fragments purporting to have been cut from it were in the eleventh and twelfth centuries to be found in almost every church in Europe, and would, if collected together in one place, have been almost sufficient to have built a cathedral. Happy was the sinner who could get a sight of one of them, happier he who possessed one. To obtain them the greatest dangers were cheerfully braved. They were thought to preserve from all evils and to cure the most inveterate diseases. Annual pilgrimages were made to the shrines that contained them and considerable revenues collected from the devotees. Next in renown were those precious relics, the tears of the Savior, by whom and in what manner they were preserved the pilgrims did not inquire their genuineness was vouched by the christians of the holy land and that was sufficient tears of the virgin mary and tears of st peter were also to be had carefully enclosed in little caskets which the pious might wear in their bosoms after the tears the next most precious relics were drops of the blood of jesus and the martyrs and the milk of the virgin mary hair and toenails were also in great repute and were sold at extravagant prices Thousands of pilgrims annually visited Palestine in the eleventh and twelfth centuries to purchase pretended relics for the home market. The majority of them had no other means of subsistence than the profits thus obtained. Many a nail cut from the filthy foot of some unscrupulous ecclesiastic was sold at a diamond's price, within six months after its severance from its parent toe, upon the supposition that it had once belonged to a saint or an apostle. Peter's toes were uncommonly prolific. FOR THERE WERE NAILS ENOUGH IN EUROPE AT THE TIME OF THE COUNCIL OF CLERMONT TO HAVE FILLED A SACK, ALL OF WHICH WERE DEVOUTLY BELIEVED TO HAVE GROWN ON THE SACRED FEET OF THAT GREAT APOSTLE. SOME OF THEM ARE STILL SHOWN IN THE CATHEDRAL OF isle Chapelle. Pious COME FROM A DISTANCE OF A HUNDRED GERMAN MILES TO FEAST THEIR EYES UPON THEM. AT PORT ROYAL IN PARIS IS KEPT WITH GREAT CARE A THORN, WHICH THE PRIESTS OF THAT SEMINARY ASSERT TO BE ONE OF THE IDENTICAL THORNS THAT BOUND THE HOLY HEAD OF THE SON OF GOD. HOW IT CAME THERE AND BY WHOM IT WAS PRESERVED HAS NEVER BEEN EXPLAINED. THIS IS THE FAMOUS THORN CELEBRATED IN THE LONG DISSENSIONS OF THE JANSENISTS AND THE MOLINISTS, AND WHICH WORKED THE MIRACULOUS CURE UPON Mademoiselle PERIER, MERELY BY KISSING IT SHE WAS CURED OF A DISEASE OF THE EYES OF LONG STANDING. WHAT TRAVELER IS unacquainted WITH THE SANTA SCALA, OR THE HOLY STAIRS AT ROME? THEY WERE BROUGHT FROM JERUSALEM ALONG WITH THE TRUE CROSS BY THE EMPRESS HELEN and were taken from the house which, according to popular tradition, was inhabited by Pontius Pilate. They are said to be the steps which Jesus ascended and descended when brought into the presence of the Roman governor. They are held in the greatest veneration at Rome. It is sacrilegious to walk upon them. The knees of the faithful must alone touch them in ascending or descending, and that only after the pilgrims have reverentially kissed them. Europe still swarms with these religious relics. There is hardly a Roman Catholic Church in Spain, Portugal, Italy, France, or Belgium without one or more of them. Even the poorly endowed churches of the villages boast the possession of miraculous thigh-bones of the innumerable saints of the Romish calendar. Isla Chapelle is proud of the veritable chasse or thigh-bone of Charlemagne, which cures lameness. Alla has a thigh-bone of the Virgin Mary. Spain has seven or eight, all said to be undoubted relics. Brussels at one time preserved, and perhaps does now, the teeth of St. Gudule. The faithful, who suffered from the toothache, had only to pray, look at them, and be cured. Some of these holy bones have been buried in different parts of the continent. After a certain lapse of time, water is said to ooze from them, which soon forms a spring and cures all the diseases of the faithful. It is curious to remark the avidity manifested in all ages and in all countries to obtain possession of some relic of any persons who have been much spoken of even for their crimes. When William Longbeard, leader of the populace of London in the reign of Richard I, was hanged at Smithfield, the utmost eagerness was shown to obtain a hair from his head, or a shred from his garments. Women came from Essex, Kent, Suffolk, Sussex, and all the surrounding counties to collect the mould at the foot of his gallows. A hair of his beard was believed to preserve from evil spirits, and a piece of his clothes from aches and pains. In more modern days a similar avidity was shown to obtain a relic of the luckless Masaniello, the fisherman of Naples. After he had been raised by mob favour to a height of power more despotic than monarch ever wielded, he was shot by the same populace in the streets as if he had been a mad dog his headless trunk was dragged through the mire for several hours and cast at nightfall into the city ditch on the morrow the tide of popular feeling turned once more in his favour his corpse was sought arrayed in royal robes and buried magnificently by torchlight in the cathedral ten thousand armed men and as many mourners attending at the ceremony The fisherman's dress which he had worn was rent into shreds by the crowd to be preserved as relics. The door of his hut was pulled off his hinges by a mob of women, and eagerly cut up into small pieces to be made into images, caskets, and other mementos. The scanty furniture of his poor abode became of more value than the adornments of a palace. The ground he had walked upon was considered sacred, and being collected in small files was sold at its weight in gold, and worn in the bosom as an amulet almost as extraordinary was the frenzy manifested by the populace of paris on the execution of the atrocious marchioness de brinvilliers there were grounds for the popular wonder in the case of massaniello who was unstained with personal crimes but the career of madame de brinvilliers was of a nature to excite no other feelings than disgust and abhorrence she was convicted of poisoning several persons and sentenced to be burned in the place de grieve and to have her ashes scattered to the winds. On the day of her execution the populace, struck by her gracefulness and beauty, inveighed against the severity of her sentence. Their pity soon increased to admiration, and ere evening she was considered a saint. Her ashes were industriously collected, even the charred wood which had aided to consume her was eagerly purchased by the populace. Her ashes were thought to preserve from witchcraft in england many persons have a singular love for the relics of thieves and murderers or other great criminals the ropes with which they have been hanged are very often bought by collectors at a guinea per foot great sums were paid for the rope which hanged dr dodd and for those more recently which did justice upon mr fauntleroy for forgery and on Thurtell for the murder of mr ware the murder of maria martin by quarter in the year eighteen twenty eight excited the greatest interest all over the country people came from wales and scotland and even from ireland to visit the barn where the body of the murdered woman was buried every one of them was anxious to carry away some memorial of his visit pieces of the barn door tiles from the roof and above all the clothes of the poor victim were eagerly sought after a lock of her hair was sold for two guineas and the purchaser thought himself fortunate in getting it so cheaply So great was the concourse of people to visit the house in Camberwell Lane where Greenacre murdered Hannah Brown in 1837, that it was found necessary to station a strong detachment of police on the spot. The crowd was so eager to obtain a relic of the house of this atrocious criminal, that the police were obliged to employ force to prevent the tables and chairs and even the doors from being carried away. In earlier times a singular superstition was attached to the hand of a criminal who had suffered execution. It was thought that by merely rubbing the dead hand on the body the patient afflicted with the king's evil would be instantly cured. The executioner at Newgate formerly derived no inconsiderable revenue from this foolish practice. The possession of the hand was thought to be of still greater efficacy in the cure of diseases and the prevention of misfortunes. In the time of Charles the Second, as much as ten guineas was thought a small price for one of these disgusting relics. When the maniac Tom, or Courtenay, was shot in the spring of 1838, the relic hunters were immediately in motion to obtain a memento of so extraordinary an individual. His long black beard and hair, which were cut off by the surgeons, fell into the hands of his disciples, by whom they were treasured with the utmost reverence. A lock of his hair commanded a great price not only amongst his followers, but among the more wealthy inhabitants of Canterbury and its neighborhood. The tree against which he fell when he was shot was stripped of all its bark by the curious, while a letter with his signature to it was paid for in gold coins, and his favourite horse became as celebrated as its master's. Parties of ladies and gentlemen went to Boughton from a distance of a hundred and fifty miles to visit the scene of that fatal affray, and stroke on the back of the horse of the Mad knight of Malta. If a strict watch had not been kept over his grave for months, the body would have been disinterred and the bones carried away as memorials. Among the Chinese, no relics are more valued than the boots which have been worn by an upright magistrate. In Davis's interesting description of the Empire of China, we are informed that whenever a judge of unusual integrity resigns his situation, the people all congregate to do him honor if he leaves the city where he has presided the crowd accompany him from his residence to the gates where his boots are drawn off with great ceremony to be preserved in the hall of justice their place is immediately supplied by a new pair which in their turn are drawn off to make room for others before he has worn them five minutes it being considered sufficient to consecrate them that he should have merely drawn them on among the most favored relics of modern times in europe are shakespeare's mulberry tree Napoleon's willow and the table at waterloo on which the emperor wrote his dispatches snuff boxes of shakespeare's mulberry tree are comparatively rare though there are doubtless more of them in the market than were ever made of the wood planted by the great bard many a piece of alien wood passes under this name the same may be said of napoleon's table at waterloo the original has long since been destroyed and around dozen of counterfeits along with it Many preserve the simple stick of wood, others have them cut into brooches in every variety of ornament, but by far the greater number prefer them as snuff-boxes. In France they are made into bonbonnières, and are much esteemed by the many thousands whose cheeks still glow and whose eyes still sparkle at the name of Napoleon. Bullets from the field of Waterloo and buttons from the coats of the soldiers who fell in the fight are still favorite relics in Europe but the same ingenuity which found new tables after the old one was destroyed has cast new bullets for the curious many a one who thinks himself the possessor of a bullet which aided in giving peace to the world on that memorable day is the owner of a dump first extracted from the ore a dozen years afterwards let all lovers of genuine relics look well to their money before they part with it to the cicerone that swarm in the village of waterloo few travelers stopped at the lonely isle of st helena without cutting a twig from the willow that drooped over the grave of napoleon prior to the removal of the body by the government of louis philippe many of them have since been planted in different parts of europe and have grown into trees as large as their parent relic hunters who are unable to procure a twig of the original are content with one of these several of them are growing in the neighborhood of london but in relics as in everything else there is the use and the abuse the undoubted relics of great men or great events will always possess attractions for the thinking and refined. There are few who would not join with Calley in the extravagant wish introduced in his line written while sitting in a chair made of the remains of the ship in which Sir Francis Drake sailed round the world. And I myself, who now love quiet too, almost as much as any chair can do, would yet a journey take, an old wheel of that chariot to sea, Which Phaeton so rashly break. End of chapter eight. Recording by Philip Gould. End of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and Madness of Crowds, volume two, by Charles Mackay.